You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me to the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, easy to find, Mark chapter 8. We're going to get there in just a minute, so uh, just hold that spot, Mark chapter 8. This morning we're continuing the series that we began last week as we're talking about the life God blesses. How can, we, how can we live in the goodness and favor of God? Last week we did a little quick survey, a little raise of hands, asking this question, how many of you want God's blessing in your life? How many of you want God's goodness to come and camp out at your house? And everyone raised their hand because, listen, none of us want to be cursed by God, right? We want to be blessed by God. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I want to be blessed by God. But what we discovered last week is living in the blessed life, or living the blessed life, living in the blessing of God doesn't accidentally happen. It requires some specific choices, some specific actions on our part. In other words, uh, simply stated, if you want God's best, you have to go God's way. If you want God's best, how do you get God's best? If you want God's best, you've got to go God's way. Listen, you can't say, hey, I'm going to do it my way and end up at God's best. So there's specific actions and choices that we have to make to come to the blessed life. Last week we, we looked at this scripture in 2 Chronicles 16.9. Um, let me give it to you again. This is how it reads. That the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Think about that. The way I understand that verse is this. The eyes of the Lord, the Creator of the universe, are looking throughout the Lake Norman area. What's he looking for? He's looking for men and women who are fully committed to him that he might bring his blessing to them. He's looking for men and women who are fully surrendered to him that he might bring what? That he might bring his blessing. Well, last Sunday we talked about the first characteristic that we need to be cultivating in our lives. We talked about brokenness. We said the way to blessedness is through brokenness. Matthew 5 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or we might say it like this Blessed are those who are spiritual beggars who are desperate for God in their lives. It's those individuals that God's kingdom comes to. That's what Jesus was saying. So if you were not here last Sunday, I would encourage you to check out the podcast from last week. We talked about brokenness. Well, today we want to talk about a second characteristic that we need to be developing in our lives to discover God's blessing. Today we're going to talk about the concept of surrender, this characteristic of surrender. Now surrender, as I was thinking about this, I thought surrender is kind of like the first cousin to brokenness. How many of you have a first cousin? Well, they're, not a, they're not a sibling, but what they're closely related to you. In the same way, brokenness and surrender are a lot alike, yet they're different. Different enough that I wanted to spend two Sundays talking about these two different characteristics. Now before I get into the message today, I want you to know right from the outset that this message is going to make you uncomfortable today. Some of you, it may even make you a bit angry. And let me tell you why. We want to be in control. Just plainly stated. How many of you, how many of you in the room today would say that you're a control freak? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are here with your mate and you would say that they are a control freak? <laughs> yeah, if you were to ask me, Farrell, are you a control freak? I would say absolutely not. You ask my wife and you would get a completely different story. Or you ask the staff that I serve with, 
because um, I'm—I mean, we work really closely together. If you were to ask them, "Hey, is Pastor Farrell a control freak?" they wouldn't say yes, but they would just do this. <laughs> I am. I, I like I like to be in control. And the challenge of surrender is this. It means that what? We're giving up control. And that's what makes us uncomfortable. And that's what makes us even a, a little bit angry. I mean, I, I've had difficult conversations with individuals. And I could tell you stories this morning. I'm not going to go down that road. But just let me say it like this. I've had difficult conversations with individuals where I've brought the truth of God's Word present in their lives concerning a situation and they get really angry and let me say why they get really angry is they want to go their way not God's way and they want God to bless their way though it's opposite of what his word says because we, we get uncomfortable we get even a bit angry when we start talking about this whole concept of surrender we'd much rather talk about success than surrender Matter of fact, I can tell you that books on success sell much better than books on surrender. Like books on surrender, they don't sell very. It's not a popular, it's not a popular title. Surrender's not popular in our culture today because it means to give up or it means to lose. And nobody likes to lose. But in God's kingdom, surrender to Him is the way that we win. It's the surrender of self to God that opens our lives for the fullness of His plans. You want the fullness of God's plans, His purpose is in your life. Let me tell you the road you've got to travel. It's called the road of surrender. Now let me give you a couple illustrations. The, the first story is the story, and these are true stories, is the story of Bill and Vanette Bright. They were founders of a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, or Crew for short. Maybe you're familiar with the ministry, but this is how it all started. One Sunday afternoon, this newly married couple were in their living room, and they were having conversation, and they came to the realization um, of how they wanted to live their lives completely sold out to Jesus. They just realized that this is the, this is the only way. And so they knelt there in their living room as Dr. Bright records this in one of his books. He says, this is the prayer we prayed. Lord, we surrender our lives irrevocably to you and to your will. We want to love you and serve you with all of our hearts for the rest of our lives. And then they actually wrote out a contract, a contract of surrender to Jesus being Lord of their lives. And they both signed the contract. Now, Dr. Bright's gone on to be with Jesus. He's gone on to heaven. But he founded and led, out of his surrender, he founded and led one of the largest Christian organizations in history. Had 70 different ministries, 26,000 full-time staff, and 226 trained volunteers serving in 190 countries around the world. He was the one who created, maybe you've heard of this, the Jesus Found. He created the Jesus film that literally went around the world. Over one million people have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as a result of the Jesus film. All of this happened through Dr. Bright's, Dr. Bright's life. Yet in spite of his many achievements, when Dr. Bright was diagnosed with a terminal lung disease, he made it known that the only epithet he and his wife wanted on their tombstone was this, slaves of Jesus Christ. What a statement. And what a testimony of a, of a young couple who from the outset of their lives just said, God, we want to surrender our lives to you. Here, here, here are our lives. Take them and use them as you please. And then out of that, what? God did amazing, amazing things. 
although not near as exciting or kingdom impacting, I, I think of my, of my own journey of faith. In 1986, my wife and I were married in the spring of 86. In the fall of 86, we loaded literally everything we owned, everything we owned into a Chevy S10 pickup truck. Today, I couldn't get it all in two U-Hauls if I tried. But everything we owned went into an S10 pickup truck, and we left Arkansas going to Ohio to begin our Bible college process. And I'm 22, at this point I'm 22 years old, and I remember driving through the state of Kentucky on our way to Ohio, somewhere in the state of Kentucky. I remember here I'm a grown man. I I literally broke down and began to cry. And this is why I was crying. I realized that we were leaving everything that was comfortable and we were leaving everything that we knew and everything that was secure to go on an adventure of surrender. Not knowing, what, not knowing where it would take us, not knowing where that road would end. And as I now fast forward in my life, it's like, wow, God, you've done so much more than I ever could have dreamt of. I mean, at 22, I could have written it out what I wanted my life to be. I'm telling you, what I'm living today far far, far exceeds what I could have ever dreamt. And it's not happened because I'm like the most talented guy. It's not happened because I'm the smartest guy. I believe it's happened out of surrender. Because see, when we come to a place of surrender in our lives, where we lay our lives down, it's then that God can bring His work through our lives. When we come to a place of surrender, we get what God can do. Not, we're not limited to what we can do. And that's why I would say it's this place of surrender that brings us to a place of living blessed in our lives. So what does it mean to surrender? The whole concept of surrender is giving up control. I mean, that's kind of the summary. Webster's Dictionary defines surrender as this. Yielding to the power and the control and the possession of another. Nancy Lee DeMoss in one of her books defines it like this. I think it's there in your notes. Christian surrender means that we come to God on His terms. Not our terms, but His terms. As the conquering general of ourselves, and we say simply, I surrender all. So in its simplest terms, surrender means God's in control and you're not. In its simplest terms, it means that He's the leader. You're following his leadership you're embracing his lordship of your life so you see what we must understand this morning is that jesus will not be one of many options this is not like school and you get multiple choice he's not going to be one of many options either he's lord of all or he's not lord at all and that's what makes us really uncomfortable that's what that's where the conflict comes in He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Listen, you cannot call Jesus Lord of your life and go your own way and do your own thing. If He's Lord, you're submitted to His leadership. He's the Master and you're following. You're following His lead. You know, as we, think of the, as we think of Jesus, there's a lot of different terms, a lot of different names that we use, but two of the most common is Savior and Lord. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. And both are accurate and both are true. Jesus is Savior. He gave His life that we might have life. And Jesus is Lord. But when we say Jesus is Savior, get this, we're talking about what He's done for us. What He saved us. And for that we should be grateful. But when we say Jesus is Lord, we're not talking about what He's done for us. We're talking about who He is. is, He's Lord of our lives. 
Jesus is Lord. Hey, Jesus has saved you, and for that we're grateful. But listen, He desires to be more than just your Savior. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Bringing the fullness of all that He is present in your life. Where does that happen? It happens in a place of surrender. Yet, this whole concept of, of me giving up control, you giving up control, that creates the conflict. And we see that playing out here in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we have Jesus and Peter having this dialogue and there's pretty intense conflict because Peter's struggling with this whole concept of giving up control. He's struggling with the concept of surrender. So, so let's, read it. let's read this in their interaction. Mark chapter 8 beginning with verse 31. He, being Jesus, then began to teach them, notice what He was teaching them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Notice what Peter does. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. But when Jesus turned and looked at His disciples, He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Notice this next line. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Verse 34 says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Verse 36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? So in this dialogue, Jesus is telling the disciples about what what lies ahead. He's preparing them. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be beat. He's he's going to be crucified. And like, this is more than Peter can bear. It's more than he can comprehend. Like, Jesus, you're supposed to be in control. Not rejected. And so Peter, imagine the arrogancy of this. Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, this is not right. Like you, you're the Messiah. You came to rule and reign, not die. You came to overthrow the Romans and like be the next ruler and like you're the man in control. How can you die? And it's interesting that Jesus turns the table on Peter. And the scripture actually says that Jesus rebuked Peter. And then he goes on to say about verse 35, 34. 35 he says if anyone catch this if anyone get this this includes all of us if anyone don't separate yourself from the story this morning this is about your life it's about my life jesus says if anyone that includes all of us so you want to be my follower notice what he says you must deny yourself in other words it's not an option it's like oh okay see is it convenient is it comfortable? I don't know if I want to do that. Or, no, Jesus said you must. You want to follow Him? You want to embrace His Lordship of your life? Then what do you must do? You must. You must deny yourself. You must die to yourself. And it's interesting that Jesus says as you lose your life, then you find life. As you lose your life, it's in that place of surrender that we come to discover the fullness of God's blessing for our lives. In this dialogue, I really believe that like Jesus is the example. You don't know what surrender looks like? Look at Jesus. He's our model. He's the example. 
Rather than choosing to go his own way, he's choosing the way of his father, the, the way the father has for him. Rather than trying to be in control and save his life, he's, he's laying down his rights, he's laying down his life to do the will of the father. If you fast forward from this conversation to the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is going to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's agonizing in prayer. And listen, th- this is what Jesus prayed. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not what I will, Father, but what you will. Not what I want, Father, but what you want. In other words, it's not about my agenda, Father. It's about your agenda. So get this. Here is Jesus, fully God, surrendering his will to the will of the Father. Jesus is an example for us of what surrender looks like. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, writing about the example of Jesus' surrender uh, in Philippians chapter 2, I have some interesting things to say. Remember, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Just a few books over, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, you'll come to the book of Philippians. Again, Paul, writing about Jesus the servant, Jesus the one, again, fully God, Fully God, who chose to surrender His will to the Father. Philippians 2.5 Notice Paul says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Notice verse 6, Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Verse 9 says then that God exalted him to the highest place. Through his surrender, what God exalted him. A couple of things you need to pick up from this Philippians 2 passage. The first is this. Paul says your attitude, my attitude, should be as the attitude of Christ Jesus. What was the attitude of Christ Jesus? Surrender. I mean, Philippians 2 is all about Surrender who being God equal with God did not consider equality with God to be did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he laid that down what, what did he lay down he laid down his will to embrace the will of the father paul says your attitude should be the same as christ and then it's interesting paul goes on in verse 7 he goes on in verse 7 to say but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant you might underline that word servant, being made in human likeness. The Greek word there, New Testament, originally written in Greek, the Greek word there is doulos, doulos. And, and it's a significant word in that it ties back to the Old Testament, Exodus 21. You can check all of this out later. In Exodus 21, we have the description of a doulos, of a, of a bond servant. It, it, for the Jewish people, it was, it was not uncommon for an, a, a Jewish man, a Jewish individual, a Jewish woman, to come on, to fall on hard times uh, and be in such of a way that they had to sell themselves into slavery. So they would sell themselves to someone so that uh, they would have the basics of their needs met. It would, it would be like me coming to Joel and saying, Hey, Joel, I'm having some hard times here. Can I sell myself into slavery to you? And Joel would say, Yes, I'm willing to pay that price. And so for six years, I would be in service to Joel. And according to the law, he had to treat me with kindness. He had to treat me with fairness. 
but at the end of the sixth year, he had to set me free. The seventh year was the year of freedom. But let's say in my six years of serving Joel, because I'm his bond slave, that we just formed this great relationship and I've come to discover, man, serving with Joel is awesome. Living under his leadership is awesome. And I just want to spend the rest of my life hanging out with Joel. I could say to Joel, Joel, I don't want to go free. I want to spend the rest of my life serving you. And at that point, I would become a bond slave. Now I'm serving not because I have to, but because I want to. So then according to Exodus 21, Joel would take me to the doorpost and he would take an awl, a sharp object, and he would pierce my ear. And the piercing of my ear would be symbolic of this. I am a bond slave. Interesting, as Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 2, he would say this of Jesus Christ, that he was a bond slave. That he had given up his rights in serving out the will of the Father. And when he's called us to the same, what does it mean to surrender? Basically, folks, it means this. We become a bond slave. We're serving not because we have to, but because we want to. Nobody's twisting our arm. No manipulation. No one's forcing us. No, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing this pathway of surrender and submission to, to the Father. Oh, Jesus, well, he's our example. The example of, of, of what surrender looks like. As we look on in, in this dialogue with, with Peter, we discover that the way of man is elevation and promotion, but the way of God is surrender. As you look back to Mark 32 and 33, Peter's pretty bold in confronting Jesus. Like, how, Jesus, how could you die? Again, you're supposed to be the one in control. And it's interesting that as Jesus rebuked Peter, this is what he says. He says, Peter, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. So what's the things of man? What's the way of man? Let me tell you what the way of man is today. Go to any magazine rack and it becomes so evident, it's so clear. The way of man today is self-promotion and self-elevation. Listen, we all struggle with it. To some degree, maybe for some of us more than others, but to some degree, all of our humanity, we all like promotion and elevation. Makes us feel good. And we're not careful, we can find ourselves seeking out. I mean, that's where Peter was at. Peter was saying, Jesus, you can't die. But Peter was thinking of the ways of the world, self-promotion, self-elevation. And Jesus was saying, no, Peter, you got it wrong. You're thinking about the ways of the world, not the ways of God. What's the way of God? The way of God is surrender. It's the laying down of our will to embrace God's way. It's the laying down of our rights to embrace that of God's work in our lives. For, 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 me, for me, it's all summed up really in this question. And here's the question. Do you want what you can do in your life or do you want what God can do through your life? Let me ask that question again. Do you want, thinking about your life, do you want what you can do in your life or do you want what God could do through your life? See, if you want what, if you, want what you can do with your life, then listen, just go your own way, do your own thing. Go work hard, create whatever you can create. Be that self-made, limited individual. But if, you want, if you want what God can do through your life, you have to choose this pathway of surrender. 
to embrace that of the fullness. That's why I say the blessed life is found where? It's found in in a place of surrender. For, for For you see, Jesus calls us to come and die to everything that competes with His reign and rule. What's He calling us to? Really simple. He's calling us to come and die to anything and everything that would compete with His reign and rule in our lives. So let's talk about that for a minute. What do you think in your life might possibly compete with the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ? We're having conversation now. I know it doesn't seem like it, but but we are. I'm waiting for your response. Money, so let's start there. Money, this material thing called money, can compete with the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in your life. It, it can become a God in your life that you're worshiping, and it takes the place you're submitted to this thing called money, rather than living your life submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So money, I, I would say that's, that's true. Who, what else? Work. So work and or maybe we could broaden it a little bit to say career path. And then I'm elevating my career path, what I want over what God might want. Nothing wrong with having a career. Man, I hope you do well, make lots of money. I, I hope it goes really well for you. But listen, if you place your career above that of the position of Jesus Christ, that career has become an idol in your life. But it's competing with the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. I heard someone else say family, so let's broaden that a little bit. Let's talk about relationships. People. People can compete with the rule and the reign of Jesus. What about this one? What about comfort? Man, in America, we love our comfort, don't we? Man, we chase after comfort. We all want to be comfortable. And again, nothing wrong with comfort. But let me tell you, when you value comfort... More than you value the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, comfort has become your idol. So so to live our lives surrendered means that Jesus calls us to come and die to everything that would compete with with His reign and and to His rule. To call Jesus Lord means basically this. We're saying yes. Yes to His will. Yes to His word. Yes to His ways. Listen, we cannot call Jesus Lord and proceed to run our own lives however we want. So, again, nothing wrong with things. I have things, you have things, we all have things. Nothing wrong with, with having stuff. It's, it's okay until that stuff is elevated above the priority of the pursuit of Jesus Christ in our lives. So Jesus calls us to come and die. To die to anything and everything that would limit His work. So, so to sum it, all, sum it all up this morning, to surrender to Jesus really means this. It means that we choose His way, not our way. It means that we choose His will, not our will. It, mean that, it means that we choose His Word, not the world's way. That's, that's what it looks like when we live our lives surrendered. I, I want to leave you this morning with a story about a young man who understood and embraced the call to surrender in his life. The young man's name is William Whiting Borden. In the early 1900s, there was this young man, 
16-year-olds that graduated from a high school in Chicago. His family was the Borden family. So think about Borden milk, Borden cheese. Very wealthy, very prominent. So even as a teenager, he was was wealthy. Going to inherit the the family business. I mean, it looked great. And when when he graduated from high school, his parents wanted to bless him with a trip. And so they gave him a year to travel the world. Now think early 1900s. You're not doing this by plane. Most of it's by boat. So William Borden begins this year-long journey around the world. Now at an earlier age, through the ministry of D.L. Moody, he had come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. So he's a committed follower of Jesus Christ who is on this year-long trip. And somewhere about halfway through the trip, William Borden was wrecked. He was wrecked by God for the condition of humanity around the world. And he he sent his parents a telegram basically saying... I want to live my life as a missionary. Now, you, you can imagine his dad was not really excited about this. I mean, there's the family business to run. And he's going to go be a missionary. Well, he was not deterred by the response of his father as William Borden returned. He began his education at Yale University. Actually, as a freshman, he began these little prayer groups, these little Bible studies. By the time he got to his senior year, get this, 1,000 of the 1,300 students on campus were participating in these prayer groups and Bible studies through the influence of this young man. It was at this point that his parents told him, if you continue down this path, we're going to reject you. You'll never be a part of the inheritance of the wealth of the family. He said, that's okay. He, began, he continued his education at Princeton Theological University. After finishing there, he boarded a a ship to China. On his way, he stopped off in Egypt getting language lessons there because his heart, his passion was for the Muslim people. So he was learning Arabic there in Egypt. Age 25, he uh, contracted meningitis and died. Never fully made it to the mission field. But because his family was so wealthy, so well known, as the news got back to the states of the death of William Borden, it made headline news. Every newspaper across the United States. And some of the stories read like this. What a waste of a wealthy young man's life. He's going to be a missionary and he died at age 25. But interesting how God can take that and turn it. As a result of the story being read, literally across the United States, there were thousands of young men and women who read the story of William Borden and their hearts were convicted. And they said, we want to do that. We want to go to the mission field and preach the gospel. Thousands of young men and women. Not a wife, not a life that was wasted, but through surrender, A life that God used, even though his life ended young. But here's the interesting part of the story for me. As his parents, who were so against William Borden being a missionary, as they received his Bible, they looked to the back flap of his Bible, and the back flap of his Bible was six words. Six words. The first two words were this, no no reserve. When he committed his life to be a missionary, to take the gospel message around the world, he went to the back flap of his Bible and wrote those two words, no reserves. And then when his dad rejected him from the family, from the family business, William Borden went to the back flap of his Bible. He wrote two more words, no retreat, no reserve, no retreat. Just before he died, as he was in Egypt, he wrote Two more words, the last of the six words in the back flap of his Bible, these two words, no regret. No reserve, 
no retreat, no regret. And as I was thinking about the story of William Borden's life, I thought, wow, that's what surrender looks like. It's us saying to God, God, no reserves, no retreat. We're going to live our lives with no regret. Living our lives surrendered to you. And again, it's in that place of surrender that we discover what? We discover the blessed life. We discover the fullness of God's plan. Why? Because you're laying down what you can do and you're embracing that of what God can do through your life. So you want to live the blessed life? How do you get there? It's choosing this road of surrender. And hear me, this is not a one-time event. If, if I convince you today and only for today to surrender your life, then I failed you this morning as a communicator. Listen, surrender is not an event. Surrender is a lifestyle. It's you coming to the place in your life that you began your day every day bowing your knee before the Creator, declaring your need for Him. And declaring the reality of the need that you need God to help you in your life. My prayer is always something like this. God, you know my life. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough experience. I need you today. I surrender my life to you. I pray a prayer something like that every morning. Why? Because this is what I've come to discover. It's the pathway of surrender that brings us to a place of living a blessed life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning. For the wonder of the miracle of salvation. God, for your gift to us. For your grace and your love. But look, what is so evident, so clear to me this morning through your word is more than just being our Savior, you desire to be our Lord. Matter of fact, Jesus, you said if anyone, including all of us, if any of us would want to come after you, God, we have to die to ourselves. And that's about today, and it's about tomorrow, and it's about the rest of our lives. It's choosing to go your way, not demanding our own way. Lord, you said as we would lose our lives, it's there that we would find life. It's there that we would discover life. Holy Spirit, we just we invite you this morning to convict us where we need to be convicted, to challenge us where we need to be challenged. God, we have been hard-headed and stubborn and kind of trying to make it on our own to, to say, no, I'm going my way. God, I pray today that hearts would be turned to you and that, we, Lord, that individuals would realize Lord, that surrender to you is truly the way to life. It truly opens our lives, God, to that of your goodness and favor. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, maybe you've prayed this prayer 52 times, maybe you've never prayed this prayer. Maybe today would be the first time that you would say, more than just Savior, Jesus, I want you to be Lord in my life. Today I'm submitting my will to your will. Today I'm making a decision to die to myself that I might bring myself submitted and surrendered to your leadership and your Lordship. That I might experience guide the fullness of your work in my life 
Again, this may be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. It may be the 52nd time. Listen, what I've, what I've come to discover is that it's a prayer I need to be praying every day. So if you're here this morning and you would just say, Lord, I'm submitting my will to your will this morning. And I'm embracing your lordship of my life. Would you just raise your hand really quick? Lord, as our hands are lifted today, Lord, I pray for my friends. I pray for myself. Lord, here I am. Here we are. Oh God, we declare our great need of You. Lord, what we know today is left to ourselves going our own way, following our own will. God, we have a tendency to really mess things up. And whatever we could do, God, it's so limited compared to what You could do. So Lord, as our hands are lifted, God, we're simply saying today, God, we're embracing Your Lordship. We're embracing Your leadership. Lord, we're saying we surrender. So to speak, we're bringing out the white flag this morning, Jesus, saying we surrender. And God, the exciting thing is when we surrender to you, we don't lose, we win. So God, here we are today. Again, just declaring our need of you. And bringing ourselves submitted and surrendered to your Lordship. Lord, help us to walk that pathway. Holy Spirit, may this be more than an event. May this be more than just a Sunday morning encounter. God, may this become a lifestyle as to how we process life, living our lives submitted again to your Lordship. Holy Spirit, help us to live this out, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.